Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Noelle Ellerson Ng, AASA's Associate Executive Director for Policy and Advocacy, and you are listening to the Pep Talk Podcast, a new way for AASA members to stay engaged with our policy and advocacy work. If it's your first time tuning in, thanks for joining us. Here at Pep Talk, we cover all things that could be remotely labeled as edgy policy. All episodes are available for download under the Pep Talk landing page on the AASA website. Looking ahead, if you have a show idea or a guest you think we should have on, shoot me a note at nellerson at aasa.org. Our latest episode, which you'll hear next, features Carl Davis with the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy, more commonly called ITEP. Carl Davis is the research director for ITEP, where he's worked since 2008. Carl works on a wide range of issues related to both state and federal tax policy and has advised policymakers and advocates in nearly every state. As ITEP's research director, Carl is responsible for exploring new and emerging trends in tax policy. This includes things like taxes on new services like Uber and Airbnb, or taxes on legal marijuana in a growing number of states. But it also includes the rapid spread of tuition tax credits for people who put money into a private K-12 school voucher fund. His research helped reveal the profitable tax shelters that these credits created for some upper-income donors to private schools. Here at AASA, we've come to know and had the honor of working with Carl on this issue. Carl likes tax policy the way we at AASA like education policy, so when the two of us can overlap, it's an obvious camaraderie and collaboration. Carl's talking to us today about the very recent action at the federal level related to the IRS, the Internal Revenue Services Rule, on the tuition tax credit loophole one that was only recently picked up by some blue states in response to changes to the state and local tax deduction. That regulatory rigmarole was one of our bigger engagements last year at AASA, and we are pleased to share, even without ruining what follows in our conversation, that the revised rule released this week includes almost all of what we asked for. That said, let's jump right in. So, Carl, first of all, thank you for taking the time to join us and to give our listeners a great summary of everything that's going on in IRS regulation world. We're happy to have you here today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. AASA has been such a great partner through all of this, so I'm I'm thrilled to be able to talk to your members about this. We're going to warm our listeners up with a very simple question for you, Carl. How does one come to love tax policy and end up operating in your niche lane? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a topic that a lot of people find pretty boring, um, so I, I guess that makes me weird, but I mean, what I like about it is it, it's really a data-based um, field. You, you have to like working with numbers to like tax policy, but I mean, more fundamentally than that, taxes are at the center of so many issues. I mean, we couldn't have public schools or roads or transit systems or social security, environmental regulations food safety laws. We, we, we couldn't have any public service without taxes. So, I mean, good tax policy is, is central to having good public policy in general. And, you know, it also means because taxes intersect with so many areas, I, I get to dabble in other disciplines like education policy, which, which has been a lot of fun. 
We totally agree that education policy is a lot of fun. And I will say that having worked with Sasha and you as you navigated the tuition tax credit, it's almost made tax policy fun for me. I enjoy the expanded understanding, but it totally makes me appreciate our little education policy lane over here. (laughs) So specific to the recent rule update from the Internal Revenue Service or IRS, let's step back and I'm going to have you start by framing the issue. What was the issue? What was this proposed rule attempting to change and why did it need to be changed? I think the most logical place to start this story is with um, Arizona and its creation a number of decades ago of these tuition tax credits where folks are able to make a quote-unquote donation, I use that word with with some skepticism, um, to support private school vouchers. And after they make that donation, they get, in a state like Arizona, all of their money back in tax credits. So it's not just you get a tax deduction that helps you out and gives you a little bit of a break. They're, They're literally getting every penny they donated back on their state tax forms. And, you know, this was done in a lot of states in order to get around state constitutions that ban public support for private education and religious education in particular. And so they got, they didn't want to, they weren't able to spend state money directly on religious education. So they said, hey, wealthy people of our state, why don't you spend your money on private and religious school education? And then as soon as you do that, we'll give you all your money right back. So it's basically, it's almost like a money laundering system where the state is getting its money into private and religious schools, but it's using these so-called donors as middlemen um, in order just to create enough separation that state constitutions were, were no longer an issue. So the reason this is relevant at the federal level and the reason the IRS had to get involved was in a state like Arizona, these people were making a donation. They were getting all of their money back. And then what they were doing is they were going to the IRS and they were saying, hey, look what a generous philanthropist I am. I just gave away all this money to private schools and I deserve a federal tax deduction for it. And for years, the IRS was giving it to them. The IRS was saying, yeah, that's a genuine charitable gift. And here's the tax deduction worth maybe 30 to 40 cents on the dollar for what you donated. And so these people were making a donation of say $100. They were getting $100 back from their state. And then they were getting another 30 or $40 back from the federal government. So what was happening is they were getting more back in tax cuts than they ever donated. So it it was taking the the idea of these being charitable gifts and turning it absolutely on its head. Um, this, This wasn't charity. This was a way for for private school donors to make a buck. They were coming out ahead and tax accountants and tax lawyers were advertising it as such. So there's a clear federal tax loophole here. People were getting charitable deductions they should never have gotten. This is something that the IRS should have addressed a while ago, but you know, it has a lot on its plate. It's, a, it's an agency that's notoriously underfunded, has a lot to deal with. What finally got it to act was that after the, the new tax law passed in 2017, more states started looking at this basic mechanism of offering huge tax credits in return for charitable gifts. And they said, you know, hey, we wanna use this as a way to, to, to help out our own residents. And so basically what that looked like um, in practice in the 2017 law, 
it was really a bill that was written with red states interests in mind first and foremost um, the largest tax cuts tended to go to red states like say texas or florida while you know folks in new jersey and new york and california were were getting tax cuts too their tax cuts were a lot smaller and so and the reason for that was because the bill capped the state and local tax deduction and which is really a critical deduction in a lot of these blue states that have robust public services and that, and that obviously that fund them through tax dollars so these blue states, you know, they felt left out by the 2017 tax law, and I, and I think rightly so. And so they said, you know, well, what, what can we do to help our, our residents get a bigger tax cut? Um, it's more in line with what people already got in Texas and Florida and elsewhere. And so they said, let's take this same tax shelter that the red states have been doing for years with private schools, and let's modify it so that you know, people can get these types of tax credits for donations to support public services if it's you know, health or public education or anything else. And they, they basically, they took this red state idea and, and they ran with it and they ran with it in some cases in a way that was even bigger than what, what, what had been done with the private school tax credits. And then as soon as that happened though, the IRS said, okay, all right, this loophole is, is starting to get out of hand. Like it's not, um, they, they couldn't let more and more states continue to adopt these because the re potential revenue loss to the federal government would have been huge. So that's when, when the blue states started doing it, that's when the IRS said, all right, we, we, we need to issue some regulations on this to close what has long been a pretty egregious tax shelter. And, and that was the inspiration for, for why they took this action. I think that's one of the most succinct summaries I've heard of the issue. It makes it sound a little bit like a soap opera, giving us some drama to help keep what might be otherwise very dry and mundane, very interesting and relevant. So with all of that history, and all of that context for how we came to see an intersection not only between tax and education policy, but within tax policy, this interplay between the seemingly unrelated tuition tax credits and then a workaround for state and local tax deductions. What happened once the proposed rule was released? What did the Trump administration propose in that initial rule that came out in August? And were you surprised? You know, I was surprised. Like I said, the reason they decided to take this on at this particular moment was because blue states were enacting these things to benefit public services. And I was concerned that coming from this administration, we might have seen a regulation that was going to single out the newest blue state tax credits and try to create a special carve out for these, these private school credits that have been around a lot longer and that have been used to dodge federal taxes for a lot longer, but that's not what we saw. We actually saw a pretty even-handed rule come out of the IRS that says, you know, the, the basic, the way it works is this. It's, it's, a, it's basically a refinement to the way the federal government defines what's charity and what isn't. And so, you know, now if you donate, say, $100 to support private school vouchers and say you get, you know, $90 back, like Pennsylvania often does. The IRS is going to say, we saw what happened there. We saw you got $90 back. That part's not a real charitable gift. That, that, that part ended right back in your bank account after all is said and done. You can only write off that 10 extra dollars that actually came out of your pocket. So the part that's reimbursed, you don't get a write off anymore. You can only write off the part that your state didn't already give back to you. And, and, and that makes perfect sense. I mean, we already have rules like this in the federal tax code for the charitable deduction. If you make a gift 
to your local public radio station and they give you a, you know, a gift package with a tote bag and a coffee mug and, you know, maybe some other goodies. You're supposed to, to subtract that out from figuring out what was real charity and what was the price of you buying a tote bag or a coffee mug and those sorts of things. So it's this return benefit that, that needs to be taken into consideration. Yeah, the IRS, you know, they, they took that basic idea. If you get your money back, it's not real charity. And they applied it broadly. And, and that's what was so critical here. They didn't, they didn't say, if you donate to public schools, we're going to consider your return benefit. But if you donate to private schools, we're not. And there are lots of people asking for that. But that's, mm -hmm. not, that's not what they did. This was a, a pretty sweeping rule that, that, um, but th that didn't have special carve-outs for causes that are, you know, in some cases are viewed pretty favorably in this administration. I think that's a really good time to insert a clarification specific to AASA. And I had flagged for you, Carl, that sometimes I will deviate from some of the, the basic outline that we start every pep talk episode with. So here's what I want to talk about, this idea of a distinction between how some states would be treated. Because we get questions sometimes when AASA engages in advocacy on issues that seem to be, well, that's a healthcare issue, that's an immigration issue, that's a tax policy issue, why is, why is an education group there? And we got that question on this topic. I mean, it was a little bit easier to thread because it had the tie into the tuition tax credit. But our overarching position was, if it comes to this tax policy, we didn't actually say super strong one way or the other. We just wanted whether the loophole should be closed. We just wanted all 50 states to be treated the same. Either everybody gets a loophole or nobody gets a loophole. This scenario that they came out with was the better of all of the options because it does treat all of the states more or less the same and it does tighten up this double dipping. But that was our tendency there was to make sure that they did not try to preserve this workaround for the tuition tax credit while closing it for the blue states. And we weren't being paranoid in that position. If I'm not mistaken, Secretary DeVos's former group, the American Federation of Children, had submitted a formal letter making that exact same ask. That's kind of what you're referencing, correct, Carl? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, going into this, there was no doubt that the IRS was going to do something to to crack down on what New York had just enacted and what New Jersey had just enacted. That was, that was a foregone conclusion, but it was not at all a foregone conclusion that they were going to write an even handed rule that, that treated Arizona and Georgia and Alabama in the same way. Yeah. The American Federation for Children, Ed Choice, a lot of these groups were saying, no, you know, do what you have to do in New York and New Jersey, but leave us alone. And um, what we had to do is explain just how problematic and hypocritical that would have been. Well, that was both problematic and hypocritical. And quite honestly, that type of parsing out of treatment between states would have been just fresh fodder for very almost brainless litigation around challenging the unfairness of that type of decision, correct? Yeah, I think that was working in our favor here. Um, I mean, we're already starting to see some threats of, of legal challenge to these regulations. And those threats had started a number of months ago, New Jersey's attorney general, for example. So um, there, these, these regulations are likely gonna be tested in court. And I think the IRS is gonna find it a whole lot easier to uphold um, a broad neutral rule as opposed to some special rule with lots of carve outs for causes like private school education that, that this administration likes. Okay, so we've talked about 
setting the stage for why this regulation or proposed rule was necessary. We talked about what was in the rule when it came out. Can you walk me and the listeners through how the comment period played out? Who was responding? What was the tenor? What was the volume of responses? What were the major messages being lobbed at the IRS in response to this proposed rule rewrite? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a very active comment period when we saw thousands of comments sent in. In tax policy, a lot of what we tend to see are people making self-interested comments, looking out for themselves. You know, they, they want to minimize their own tax bill. Um, they, they, want their, they want the tax code to be written in their favor. There's just massive amounts of lobbying around tax policy because there's so much money at stake. And, and this was no exception. Um, we saw uh, private school groups were, were very active, both in the written comments and showing up at the hearing um, at IRS headquarters, which I attended in making the case that they were different than everyone else and they should be treated better than everyone else. So they submitted thousands of comments. The other group that, that had a lot of comments looking out for themselves was, was the conservation lobby. This is a little bit of a side issue here, but there are some conservation tax credits that have been used for a number of years as, as pretty aggressive ways to generate tax breaks. So the conservation groups had a secondary interest in this too, but they were overshadowed, I'd say, by the private school groups in terms of, of asking for their own niche uh, benefits. But you know what was really great about this is that it, this particular comment period wasn't just a whole bunch of people asking for, for benefits for themselves. I mean, the public education community here really stepped up. Uh, the IRS said this week that 70% of the comments were in support of the regulation. And that's absolutely a testament to, to what the public school community did. That wouldn't have been the case without the work of AASA and um, all of its allies. So, uh, you know, th- these these were folks making really a, a public interest argument as opposed to, hey, I want the tax code to work best for me and then not anyone else argument. Um, so it, it, it brought, without, without that engagement from the public school community, we would have had a tremendously lopsided comment period where only the private school groups were showing up, only the conservation groups were showing up, and, and it was only folks, you know, that, that that didn't really care about what's good public policy, and they only cared about what's good for me. Okay, one of the things you just said caught my ear. You said 70% of the comments were in favor of the regulations. Do you have any read on if that's a normal breakdown of in support of or in opposition to, or what those margins look like? I can't say for sure. I mean, this, this got a lot, I don't know if they usually do this analysis of the share in favor. I mean, it was, it is surprising because it's, I mean, like I said, it's usually, usually folks are, are arguing against regulations because it's usually the folks that comment are the people being regulated and, and they don't, and they don't want to be regulated because it means that they're, um, they don't get to continue flying under the radar and enjoying special treatment anymore. So it was, this, this is something we, the public school community made it very clear that they were watching and that they wanted to see a good policy outcome here. It was, it was, it, was, it was great engagement. I was surprised at, at just how effective it turned out to be. What was your elevator speech version of what was included in the IRS's release? You know, the short version is that the IRS stuck to their guns. They, they had, you know, this, this onslaught of folks that, you know, not, we're, we're not just making written comments and showing up at the hearing, but we're also lobbying behind the scenes, asking that the regulations be watered down. And overall, the IRS didn't do that. What they ended up finalizing looks 
a lot like what they initially proposed. Um, it continues to be a broad-based fix. It continues to be very principled. What they did is, is what they set out to do, and that's you know fix gaming of our of our charitable contribution deduction. Basically, preserve the integrity of the charitable deduction so that's reserved for real charity and not for these types of games where people are giving money to private schools and, and walking away with a healthy profit for themselves. They, they said, we're only going to give the charitable deduction away to true philanthropists, not, not to you tax dodgers anymore. And I have to tell you, from an AASA perspective, we engage in a lot of different regulations from agencies across the federal government. Last year, we weighed in with the IRS. Department of Ed, the Department of Agriculture, the Federal Communications Commission, even the Department of Homeland Security. And from our perspective, it was a little bit of an anomaly to see the draft rule come out in such a favorable favorable format and then to see it preserved definitely absolutely felt like a win. So that content from this week's initial release was really, really good. But now I'd like you to go into a little bit more detail. Can you get a little bit more granule and break down for us what is or isn't in the latest document specific to the provisions that we were monitoring, the ones that we were responding to? A lot of what we were doing was, you know, encouraging the IRS to to not cave to the private school lobby. The private school lobby was throwing everything they had out there and seeing what would stick. So, for example, an argument they made was that you should take these rules and only apply it to people who are donating to you know private entities private schools that type of thing but then if people are donating to you know an organization with a public service orientation to public organizations go ahead and do your planning but 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 those of us in the private sector leave us alone the irs said no to that flatly it would have been um and and they actually echoed a lot of um, our our reasoning when they were decide when they announced why they said no to that it just would have been a minefield of having to draw these lines between different types of organizations. And it would have ultimately been unfair. I mean, why are you going to treat uh, a public school donor who's, you know, donating to support after school programs at a public school? Why, why would the IRS treat them worse than somebody donating to support private and religious school education? There's, that's not the way the tax law is supposed to work. Um, so they said no to that. Another thing the private schools threw out there is they said, well, what if the tax credit existed before 2018, before these blue states started doing all this? Why don't you give those, you know, these older tax credits a pass? And, you know, before before 2018, we already saw 18 states have private school tax credits. So this was a way just to, to basically give a free pass to all to, to more than a dozen tax credits that had, that had been on the books for, for a few years prior. And um, the IRS said no to that, too. I mean, it doesn't matter. They said it doesn't matter when you set up the program. It matters how the program works. And it's clear that folks are using your program established in 2012 or 2015 or whatever year, and they're using it as a tax dodge, and, and we're not going to allow that to continue. So the IRS rejected that argument, too. Another argument the private schools threw out, they were asking, uh, they wanted to take this rule related to, to some smaller tax credits, tax credits that are worth less than 15% of the amount donated, and they wanted to take that break and expand that. Um, in any number of different ways in order to benefit these existing private school credits. The IRS said no to that too. So that was another, you know, they, they were just run the, the preamble to this, I mean, to this regulation, they were running down this list of, of private school arguments and, and basically saying no, 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 no. And in a lot of many cases, using, using our, um, our reasoning as to why those would be so problematic and unfair. Oh, another one, the private schools were asking for, for a delayed effective date. They said, all right, if we're going to lose on all these other counts, 
why don't you delay this regulation so it doesn't take effect till next year or the year after, who knows? Some of them didn't even put a date that they wanted it to take effect. The IRS said no to that too. So on these, on these big types of special treatment that private schools wanted, the IRS rejected them and, and, and we won on all those questions. That, that was the main thing that I, I was worried could, could have changed from the proposal to the, to the final reg and, and, it, and, the, and those things didn't. You've been doing this as long as I've been at AASA. It is almost just surprising when something plays out the way you expect it to, especially on an issue that can be as partisan as this particular nuance is given the current administration in Congress. So yeah, there was a lot of, wow, this actually stuck. So the rule that we're talking about was released while I was in the air, and I can't tell you the number of times I have landed from a flight and something of substance has come out. So it was really great news to land and have good news around the regulation. Now, that seemed to last less than 24 hours because the next day, Betsy DeVos was out splitting hairs about how the IRS did a solid for the tuition tax credit crowd. You had a really detailed but accessible Twitter thread about this. Can you help our listeners understand how much of what DeVos said on Wednesday was really just messaging versus actual substance compared to what was actually released on Tuesday? Yeah, so the provision that she was most excited about wasn't actually added to the to the final regulation that is now the law of the land it was it, they they put out to to appease the private school community they put out this separate notice that says hey we're going to propose another regulation soon that is going to lessen the impact of this a little bit for for some private school donors really that's that that was the motivation for this this was something the heritage foundation had a paper on this um, urging this type of fix or not a fix but urging this type of change and ed choice i know was in support of it too and um american federation for children and i think this was the reason that their press release on this topic was so positive is because they won this notice that that there's going to be another regulation coming and so i mean i think this is potentially problematic and it's going to, we're, we're going to have to put this under the microscope once we see the final language. I, a few things about it we do know though, you know, what they, what the notice is indicating is not what I was most concerned about that, that we were going to see special rules put in place that treat private schools better than everyone else. The notice is actually, it's 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 indicating that there's going to be a fairly broad regulation that would apply to donors to all types of programs. So uh, wherever there's a charitable tax credit, it doesn't matter what the purpose is, um, this notice would apply. So it's not a private school carve out of the type they really wanted. It's really impacting a small number of middle class or upper middle class taxpayers potentially. Um, this is only going to impact impact people that pay less than ten thousand dollars in state and local tax. So if you're a high income person, which is really where the worst tax dodging was going on here, this isn't this this rule is going to do absolutely nothing for you. So this is really only going to pe benefit people who don't earn enough to pay at least $10,000 in state and local tax, meaning meaning property tax and income tax combined. You know, the, what this clarification does is it says for those people they're going to be able to write off their donations to to say in this case, private school, I'm just using private school as an example here. Cause like I said, it applies to all types of credits, but 
they'll be able to write off their donations to private schools as if they had actually paid their taxes, even though they didn't. So basically, if you donate $100 and you get all your money back, the IRS is now under this new regulation is saying, okay, that's not charity. You, you didn't give any money away. You got your money back. You're, you're not going to get a charitable deduction. So that leaves the question of well, what is it? What just happened? And the IRS is now going to propose that they're going to say what happened is this person that gave $100 to private schools effectively paid their state and local tax, and they're going to allow it as a state and local tax deduction. I think this is a little bit embarrassing to the private school community because what they've been arguing for a long time is that these tuition tax credit programs do not involve the transfer of public money into private schools. I mean, their version is these are private individuals giving their own private money to private schools and the government has nothing to do with it. Well, now here comes the IRS and the IRS says, you know, well, when this person gives their money to private schools, what they've done is effectively pay their taxes. And what is a tax dollar if not public money? So really it, it, they're saying instead of the IRS is gonna allow you the same deduction, whether you spend your taxes, whether you pay taxes to support public schools or whether you take that same money send it to private schools, they're, they're gonna call it a tax payment either way. So I, I think this is gonna need some unraveling. I, I think there, there's something here, but you know, I think they, they, they may be shooting themselves in the foot a little bit in winning this short-term victory in terms of, yeah, these, these private school donors will get a tax deduction. They'll get a, they'll get a deducted as if it were a state and local tax. But you know, it, it, it could potentially come at a higher cost in terms of, what does this mean for the optics of their programs and how and how much clearer is this making it that these tuition tax credits really are about sending public money to private schools because that's what the irs is going to be calling it moving forward and i think that's a point that bears repeating not only because it's deeply ironic but it lays the stage or it opens a new lane for navigation as it relates to challenging these tuition tax credit programs because now the IRS at the federal level has indicated, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Carl, has indicated that essentially when you give that $100 donation, you're documenting it on your tax form as if you paid $100 towards taxes. It's a, it moves the needle to more closely and explicitly align a tuition tax credit as a tax payment. And if you happen to have allocated that to a private school, that's a tax dollar to a private school, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, the, a lot of times lawyers and the economists tend to disagree over these issues. I think what you said is completely uncontroversial from from a perspective of, of what an economist would say in terms of, you know, what's really going on here. Now, the lawyers, once they get a hold of it, they can argue this, that, and the other way, and, and, and who knows what will come out of it. But, you know, I think this is, you know, this is pretty telling in making it apparent to what's already been apparent to us. That that when when states offer these credits, they are publicly funding private schools, and this IRS uh, notice that a new regulation is coming, is is yet another piece of evidence to support that. And at the risk of sounding like taking a victory lap, when you get a rule that goes as favorably as this one did towards the positions that we are advocating, and then you get that little cherry on top where it potentially opens up the ability to better challenge tuition tax credit programs at the state level, it just feels like an ice cream sundae that got a cherry. So we'll, we'll take that for now. 
I want to circle back to something you hinted at earlier, though. So here at AASA, when it comes to advocacy, we 110% rely on the support of and engagement of our members in the multiple processes, whether that's building a relationship with their member on Capitol Hill, weighing in on a bill, sending an email, or replying to comments with an agency. You danced around this issue earlier. What was the value of the advocacy engagement of school leaders in this process? Basically, we just want to take a moment to make sure our members understand that we're not just saying this. Their voices mattered in keeping this draft in the good position that we needed it to be in. I think it was it was critical in this process. The public school community, in large part, organized by AASA and its allies, and, and Sasha in particular did, did great work on this. Um, Sasha and I wrote a paper together on this a couple of years ago, so we've been, we've been hammering away at this for a while. But the public school community made it a lot harder for the IRS to do the wrong thing here. We had the facts on our side the whole way, and the public school community made it very clear to the IRS and, and probably just as importantly to the Treasury Department and the OMB and the political appointees there. Um, they made it very clear that, that, that we were watching. Even though, you know, Treasury and OMB, they, they were a sympathetic audience for, for private school groups, and I'm sure they were tempted to do the wrong thing. But by showing that we were paying attention, by sending in thousands of comments, and not just a raw quantity of comments, but you know, a lot of really thoughtful comments too. Um, superintendents were were taking care to you know put their comments on their official letterhead, for example. I mean, it made clear that the, you know this wasn't just some firing off some late night couple of sentences rant. I mean, they were they were they were issued, they were putting out real real comments and taking real care in doing so. They made it clear that if the IRS decided to do the wrong thing, there was a a loud and, and influential group of people who cared about the public interest here and who were ready to let everyone know um, that that the IRS caved. And and so we, we made it easier for the IRS to stick to its guns. I mean, especially the career employees there, you know, they really want to do the right thing. They, they want to write a tax law that, that you know, that, that isn't written in favor of special interests. I mean, they, they want to write one that, that, you know, that is fair for the American people. And um, I think that's what we ended up with here. And uh, despite the, the the plethora of folks who who didn't want to see that, we, I mean, it was just such an important counterbalance to to this parade of people, um, especially private school groups looking out for themselves. So I think here a, a little bit of sunlight made made a huge difference. Thank you. We just think it's really important for our members to know that we absolutely mean it, that their voices are worth their weight in gold, that the time they take to submit a letter or send a comment matters and delivers us policy that not only feels like a win, but plays out as better sound policy that helps them better support strong public schools. So that was good. Okay, we're, we're coming to the end of our time here, Carl, but I know that both Sasha and I have enjoyed working with you. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and get your crystal ball out what issues do you think we could overlap on in the next two years at AASA and ITEP? Uh, there, there's, a, there's one lingering thread here that we haven't talked about yet, and, and that is what's going on with, with a few um, high-income investors who are donating stock in states like South Carolina to support private school education. The IRS regulation was was silent on what happens to them. So the, you know, there's this problem here where, in South Carolina, you can donate stock 
to, to private schools and you get 100% of, of your money back in state tax credits. You get the full value of the stock that you donated. So you're, you're basically, what it amounts to is you're basically selling the stock. You're, you're, getting, all, you're getting the full cash value of it um, in the form of tax credits. But the IRS hasn't really figured out how to deal with that yet. And so right now the IRS is saying, oh, you gave the stock away? Okay, well, that's not, that's not a sale. So there's no taxable capital gain there. There's no investment income to tax. And, and so what that means is in a state like South Carolina right now, um, these investors, their tax accountants are telling them, hey, if you have some stock you're trying to get rid of, you're better off giving it away to private schools than you are just selling it. Because this way, you, is, this is a way to avoid federal capital gains tax. So there's still a little bit, this is much, much, much smaller in scope than, than, than what the regulation dealt with primarily and the huge victory that, that we just won. Um, but there's this lingering thread around um, capital gains tax dodges for private school donors that needs to be dealt with. And so I think we need to, we need to keep the momentum up and make sure the IRS um, deals with that loose, that loose thread. They, there was a little bit of a vague hint in its regulation that they were gonna return to this and we just need to make sure that they do so. This other thing we talked about that, that uh, Secretary, Secretary DeVos likes so much about you know, allowing people to write off private school donations as if they were taxes. I think we, we, we need to keep digging into this and uh, I think there's more work to be done here. Right now, we're, there's already a comment period open on the notice that the IRS put out. And then once they actually put out a proposed regulation, there's gonna be another comment period. So folks will have a chance to weigh in on that, but um, that's something we're, we're still working through the details on that. More broadly, I mean, the intersection between tax and education policy is just so enormous. I mean, we know that public schools aren't gonna have the resources they need if the tax code isn't raising adequate revenue and isn't raising sustainable revenue over time where you're not just getting adequate revenue today, but it's on a trajectory where you're able to afford, you know, to give teacher pay raises and that sort of thing. I, I think there's just unlimited opportunities for for us and um, AASA to continue working together on, on, on why um, tax policy matters to education. And um, so that's, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to being able to do that with you. Well, and I know we're looking forward to it, too. Uh, I don't do a ton of tax policy, but when we do tax policy, we're always happy to work with you, Carl, and your colleagues at ITEP. So I'm being mindful of our time, and I think we're just about out of it. But here at AASA, I know that we remain thankful to know and work with you and that we are grateful to have you among our allies and pushing for solid tax and economic policy that strengthens and supports public education. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me today and for helping us break down exactly what happened this week. Carl is on Twitter and you can follow him at Carl with a C P Davis. Thank you for listening.